If someone were to come up to you and ask you to define faith, what would you say? What thoughts would you express? Likely you would convey something about what you believe as a Christian, but would there be a sense of certainty in your definition? I believe that often our idea of what faith is has to do more with a blind belief than a certainty. Mark Twain once said that faith is believing something that you know ain't true. And that seems to be the idea that our culture has fallen for. When it comes to ideas of faith, we seem to be more concerned about how Mark Twain might define it than how Holy Scripture would define it. It doesn't matter what you believe is true. That doesn't matter in our culture. If you have faith in something, and it helps you to feel better, then go ahead. It's all good. That's how many people view the idea of faith. But still others might not agree with that idea. But there still isn't an idea of certainty. Faith is more like the idea of a blind leap or falling back when we aren't sure that someone is there. We don't know if we're going to land safely or if someone will catch us, but we sure hope the outcome is going to be good. And my point is, that generally speaking, our idea of faith often leaves things up for grabs. But that isn't how the Bible talks about faith. We saw in our passage from Hebrews this morning that faith is being sure of what is hoped for and being certain of what is unseen. There is a deep conviction in the faith that we believe and in the faith that we confess. And to show us this, the author of Hebrews points back. He points back to the heroes of the faith so that we can see how their faith looked forward. And so as we dig into this passage this morning, we're going to divide it up into three main points to help us work through it like we normally do. And so the first thing that we're going to see is what I've just been talking about. Faith involves conviction. We're not blindly stepping off, into a cl- on, off of a cliff and hoping that we land safely at the bottom. Faith is about knowing the one who makes the promises and knowing that he is good to keep them. And secondly, we're going to see that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is a trust and a reliance on God and abandoning any hope that we have of saving ourselves. None of our own works can save us, and so faith is a requirement if we wish to be pleasing in God's sight. And then finally, we're going to see that faith looks to the promise. All the heroes of the faith that we read about in this passage never received the ultimate promise. As we've seen in Genesis this last year and part of uh, last year, before we came back to Hebrews for a while, we saw this truth as we looked at the heroes of the faith of old. The people we read about there believed in the promises of God But they never fully arrived, did they? They never fully came to the promise. And why was that? 
because their faith had them looking to future fulfillment and trusting God and believing that Christ would come. So let's come into verse uh, 1 of Hebrews 11 as we get started this morning. And we find in verse 1 this truth that I've already mentioned. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That is strong language, isn't it? I would guess that if, if we were to go to the average unbeliever on the street and let them know that to us, faith is defined this way? Well, they would think that maybe there's something wrong with us. They would think that maybe we're a little bit off to have that level of confidence. But this is what Scripture says. This is how Scripture defines faith for us. And it's important that we understand this and that we desire to live our lives of faith in this way. And as we look at this, it's important that we stop for a minute and think about how we've arrived here. We've seen an important case being unfolded for us as we've been in the book of Hebrews the last several weeks. Remember, the book of Hebrews is being written to people who are considering returning to the traditions and the practices of the Old Covenant. And the case has been being made for these people, don't return to all that. Because Jesus is so much better. He's the fulfillment of that old covenant. So why in the world would you even consider going back to that? Well, the author of Hebrews has shown us that all of the the burning of incense, the, the sacrifices, and even the setup of the temple itself were pointing us to the work that Jesus would do for us. And in the last chapter, we saw it illustrated for us in the posture of the priests. Remember, the priests, they stand to perform their work. Day after day, week after week, year after year, Levite after Levite, generation after generation, the work of a priest was never going to be done. But we saw that when Jesus finished his work, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the Father after he ascended to heaven. His work was done. The work of the law was never going to be completed by human hands. But the work of Jesus is finished. He sat down. And so, when we arrive here today, this is the truth that these verses are trying to remind us of. The audience of Hebrews, they could make their way to Jerusalem. The temple had not yet been destroyed. So they could make their way. They could see the temple. It was something that they could see in front of their faces. They could bring a physical, actual animal that they could touch to the temple. And they could even hear that animal bleeding as it was sacrificed. It was something that they could tangibly hold on to, that they could understand. But now, they're being asked to put their trust in the truths that we've been talking about. But these are things that they can't see. But they are. They are being asked to believe in something that is real. They can't see it. But the author of Hebrews is letting know that this has happened, that Jesus is actually at the right hand of the Father. And so there's a deep conviction here. And if we look at the second verse here, Hebrews 1 verse 2, This deep conviction, this deep conviction has these stories baked into it. 
that the people of old received their accommodation this way. They were looking for something unseen, just as you are trusting in something unseen. This is how the people of old received their commendation. They believed in that which they could not see. They were sure of what the hope that was coming was. And they were certain, even though it was unseen. They didn't hope that maybe God would rescue them. They had faith, a faith that relied on him in the face of difficulties and in the face of persecution. So as we begin to look at these stories, we're going to see our second point spelled out so clearly that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we begin to see these stories that we have been immersed in over the last year. And the first thing that we see as an example for us in faith is the faith that we have that the universe was made out of nothing by the Word of God. We, we believe this by faith. No human was there to witness it, but we know from the Word of God that He created it. And it says in Romans chapter 1 that we can see in, in nature and through what He has created, we can see God's divine nature. We can see the created order. And Romans 1 tells us that we are without excuse. We understand, even though we can't see Him, we can see and understand that there is a God who created all these things. We are certain about what we have not seen. Well, then the author of Hebrews continues through some of the most well-known stories in Scripture. Maybe because the stories are real good, or maybe because everybody starts to read their Bible and at least gets through the first part of Genesis, right? So we know these stories. And if you remember back to when we were in these stories... You can probably remember what I was consistently drawing out. That these people of faith that are so well known in Genesis, they were looking forward to Jesus. The stories were not just stories. They were pointing us to the Lord Jesus. And we see this with Abel. He had faith in God, and so his sacrifices were better than Cain's because he had faith. And according to the author of Hebrews here, even though he died... His faith still speaks to us. The story of Abel still shows us how we look forward in faith. And we also see Enoch mentioned. Now, Enoch is barely mentioned in Scripture. He's only mentioned in a genealogy back in Genesis. But we know that he was taken up, and he did not die. And so he clearly had faith. And we read here our point here in this passage of Scripture. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that's because on our own, you and I are unrighteous. We lack holiness. But through our faith, we receive the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And this isn't by our works. Only God can do it. And so we need to trust by faith that he has done this for his people, just as he promised he would do. And notice that it also says here that by faith, we trust that he rewards us. The promise that we trust in by faith is that he will not only give us the gift of his righteousness but that we also will be able to go into the presence of a holy God because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. And so to continue, the the point the author of the book of Hebrews makes, he wants to make this point, and so he goes to someone that we know very well, Noah. And Noah is the perfect example of the point that he's trying to drive home here. Noah built an ark, to shelter himself from God's wrath because he believed the warning that God gave him. It was still to come. 
It was an unseen event, but he believed God when he spoke. And we read that by this act of faith and by trusting in God, he condemned the world. Now, that isn't saying that Noah stood over them in judgment. Like, I condemn you, world. No, what he is saying is that Noah's act of faith stood in contrast to the unbelief of the world. And so what do we know Noah as? An heir to righteousness, it says. He is a pillar of saving faith, showing us how we too are called to believe in the promises of God. And then as we continue through the passage a little bit more, we, we get to someone we should know really well. Because before we came back to Hebrews, we went through the life of Abraham back in Genesis. And we saw how he had faith in the promise. He believed God by faith, and he left his home. He left his family and his country. Even though he and his wife were old and she was barren, what did they do? They believed that God would give them a child. Now we know, we know that they failed to always trust God perfectly. But ultimately, they looked to the promise that was far off. Remember my point over and over when we were looking at the life of Abraham and Sarah. Our natural human inclination is to look at the lives of Abraham and Sarah and say, that's a comeback story. But again and again and again, we saw it wasn't a comeback story. It was a resurrection story. Abraham was as good as as dead. He was old. Sarah was barren and on top of it, too old to bear children. But God brought them to life. And they had a child. And the promise was fulfilled. And so as we, as we look at this, we remember back to the last thing we read about Abraham when we were in Genesis before we came back to Hebrews. What did Abraham do? He purchased land in the promised land for a grave for Sarah. Remember, he believed so strongly in the promise of God that he got himself a piece of the promised land. He was sure of his hope. And he was sure that his people would dwell there in the promised land. And he was certain of it, even though he couldn't see it. He believed God by faith. He had faith, and it pleased God. And this is the point that we're meant to see here as we move on to our final point. And we look at the last four verses that we're in today. All these heroes of the faith died and did not receive the promise. They were looking for what was to come. They understood that they were strangers and exiles here. And they were looking to heaven. They were looking to the city that was far off. Now as humans, our natural inclination is to see this world as our home. It's in front of our faces. We can touch it. We can understand it. Of course, now, when we talk about having faith and looking to the city that is far off, We're not saying that we abandon this world and forget about this world. Of course not. We care for this world. We desire to proclaim the word of God in this world that people might hear and believe. But ultimately, what are we doing? We're looking for our final destination. We are hoping for the new heavens and the new earth when Christ returns and delivers his kingdom to his Father. Like the people we have read about here, we are desiring a better country a heavenly one. And why? For God is not ashamed to be called our God. And he has prepared for us a city. 
And this is so easy for us to forget. We so quickly can lose our focus and forget the truth of what we're really looking for. But remember, this is not just the hope of the people we read about in Holy Scripture. This is our hope too. The people of old were looking to the promise of Christ. They were looking for the promise of Christ because that was where the better city was. We have the promise of Christ in fullness. We understand who He is. He has come. But yet we are still looking for that better city. We are saved by faith in Christ and trusting in the promise. And we see here that all those with faith in Scripture, everyone who had faith, they were looking for the same promise. They were looking to Christ. And so as we think about how we can apply this passage to our lives today, I want us to dwell on two things. The first is to rest in the certainty of faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a sure and certain promise. Our hope is not that maybe it will be enough. Instead, because the Holy Spirit has given us the gift of faith, we know that the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus is enough. It is sufficient. Jesus bore the wrath of God for our sins, and we have faith in that historical event, and we know We know that it is enough to save us. It is sure. It is certain. And when we speak of salvation through Christ and talk of our hope of eternal life, it isn't a roll of the dice. And it isn't a blind step hoping that God will catch us. In Christ, we are His. And He has a hold of us. And He does not let us go. That's what it means to have faith. To hold on to the truth that God has hold of us. And so with that truth in mind, we come to our second application. Knowing that truth, that God has a hold of us, and our faith is sure, we look for and desire the better country. As I've mentioned, this is difficult for us to do because we can't see it. It's not tangibly there in front of us. And so we remember the stories that we have recalled and how they lived by faith. They believed the promise of God, and we're called to do the same thing. And while it can be difficult for us to wrap our minds around, today we are blessed to experience exactly what we are talking about here in a real and tangible way right in front of us. Today, We participate in the Lord's Supper. And we not only do this in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us, we also do it in hope. When we take the elements, we understand that this is not the full feast. It's merely a foretaste of the feast that will come one day when we feast in the house of Zion. And so we're looking forward to that feast, forward to that city. And today, We are able to understand that, that as we take the elements, we are looking for the better country, for the better feast. And so we take the bread and the cup, not only looking back, but looking forward, knowing that it is more than just a small piece of bread and a tiny cup. As I said, we look forward to the better country and the greatest feast. And so as you participate this morning, 
and as you step out into the world this week, may God through His Holy Spirit and through the Word call to mind this truth. And may the certainty of the gospel and the promise of our future hope be what motivates you to live and to love in God's world. Amen.